Hey, welcome to another episode of the Northwest MX Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Lancaster, and uh, this one I sit down with uh, uh, Andy Debrino. Uh, I've known him a long time racing uh, motorcycles, but you know he's also done RC racing, I mean, Road America, uh, like Hoonigan National Championships, flat track, you know, he's... He's uh, Debrino Design, so uh, he's a whole host of, of, of talent in, in, in one person. And, and uh, we sit down and kind of chat about what he's been up to, what he's doing, and uh, a lot of fun info about, uh, about the stuff that he has been a part of and some of the, some of the cool things he's been able to do. I mean, I mean, the guy won Daytona. That's pretty damn cool in my book. So anyhow, um, yeah, enjoy this one. It was fun. But real quick, let's thank some of our sponsors. So first off, Fox Racing, their new V3 RS helmet. And uh, this is something that I've been able to test up here in the Northwest before it came out. It just did launch. And their new uh, MIPS Integra system is is a pretty slick system. Um, again, any helmet that you're wearing out there, you should be wearing some sort of a helmet that has some sort of a rotational management system. And that's what the MIPS is. The carbon shell, the speaker uh, recess um, even those off-road guys, it has a hydration system, uh, set up for it. And the coolest part is it comes with all kinds of spare parts with an extra visor, uh, extra cheek pads. So one size thicker and thinner cheek pads along with uh, a mud visor for us up here in the Northwest. So thanks to Fox racing. You can see more at foxracing.com. Of course, our longtime friends, Deval Racing, the X-Shot Whole Shot System. Um, <laughs> I've had to borrow one a few times. Um, Garrett actually uh, gave me a fresh one for my uh, KX450, but uh, I used that to grab a few whole shots at last year with the boys up there at the um, Northwest Vet MX Series at Washougal. So thanks to Deval Racing, and uh, you can f- find out more there at DevalRacing.com. And again, longtime friends, uh, Fusion Graphics, um, I always joke that uh, they'll make you look fast even when you're slow. And uh, as the older I get, the slower I will get. So I guess I'm going to have to go grab myself some new Fusion Graphics. So thanks to those guys. Check out FusionGraphics.com. Now, off to the show. Debrino, I don't know where to start with you. Is it It's uh, Debrino Drifting, Debrino RC Driver, Debrino Hooligan Champion, Debrino Road America Racer, Debrino. Uh, Debrino, uh, well, I mean, just MX racer in general, um, Debrino designs, uh, I don't know, Debrino dog care. (laughs) (laughs) What, uh, you've, you've put yourself into a place. I mean, we've known each other. I think, did we meet RC racing or where, is that officially where we met you think? Or Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I always obviously knew of you, you know, through motocross, but RC is really what brought me, you know you know, brought you into my fold and a lot of people I know in the motocross community now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've, you're constantly keeping yourself busy with all of these things. And, um, I think back to those, was that probably like, uh, was that, a Clackamas track? Did we started? Well, the, the, I mean, to be clear, you're, you're way better. So we weren't racing together, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, uh, RC racing. Yeah. The Rockstar Series, was that it? Yeah, so I, I got into RC car racing through being hurt from motocross. You know, I had like a broken collarbone. I think this was like 2008 or 2009, and the tracks of Slash had just come out, and I went to A-Main Raceway and yeah. did one or two Rockstar races before it shut down, and then that following winter, PRCR opened up off of uh, 
Is that Highway 212? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're in Clackamas. Yeah. So then I think I met you then. So that was when we were do we would do like the uh, fall or well, I think it was yeah fall winter series or winter series I guess you'd call it. But uh, I think me and Sean were talking about this. We wouldn't get home until 1 a.m. some nights from RC car racing because there were so many entries at those those races, you know. Yeah, actually, Joe Pillars and I were talking about that today. Like, that's just to us. That's like the most nostalgic, like best time of RC was those first couple years of short course in the Rockstar series. Yeah. Yeah. I told that it's, I think it was on the podcast I did with Sean. We talked about that is that, uh, I was in Spokane and I was up there for an MX race and the Rockstar rep up, up in the Northern Idaho area took me up to, they had like a big regional race up there. The winner, I think it was probably eight scale gas buggy. Winter rage. I don't remember what it was called. I mean, this goes back to 2008, probably 2009. Um, and, uh, the winner got a brand new CRF 450 for, and they had it in like the, they had it in like the fairgrounds. So they used the, all the grandstands were for all the fans and they like <laughs> sold it as like a, you know, they think about like a fair arena cross, but for RC cars and the jumps were huge and stuff. But anyhow, I was out there and they, um, the, they introduced me to the Traxxas guys, team associated, all those guys. And the Traxxas guys showed me that new truck and I'm like, no way that the slash, right? Yeah. That, so that changed everything. I mean, like my first car that I took to the track was a nitro stadium truck. And you know, my dad was kind of running that thing for me and it was just a pain in the butt. And we saw the slash at a main raceway. So that's really what kind of got me into RC and got a lot of people into RC and, Kind of speaking of, you know, the, the short course Rockstar series you had some involvement with and uh, at the old Clackamas track, like that's how I became buddies with Elias Wardius. Like, yeah. again, I remember seeing his name like on a like cycle news results, yeah. you know, <laughs> like regional, you know, yeah. races, yeah. like, you know, seeing him on that. And then also Tiger Lacey yeah. met him out there. So, yeah, it, you know, Nick Monty. Oh yeah, you the know, Monty family, just like tons, time RC racers. Yeah, tons of people. Yeah, and so that started at that McLaughlin A Main Raceway, and it was, I brought that truck in there, and I was like, "Are we? Do you guys race these?" And they're like, "No, well, not really." And then that's how the Rockstar series, because I was like, "Well, hey, let's give away a bunch of product." And so yeah, it's even down there. I remember it was just always moto heads. It would start, and it was funny because you had the hardcore RC racers, and then you had the moto guys that were kind of like known as like the the bashers of the RC world, right? Like they're just trying to stuff people into walls and do all, all the above. <laughs> Dude, right? I, I got talked to multiple times when I first started because I was, you know, just stuffing people. Like I, be, being a, I think when I started, I was like 14. Yeah. Like, you know, I have everything a kid my age has going for me, you know, that hand-eye coordination, right. that right. motocross background. So like I'm doing pretty good right out of the gate, but I don't quite understand that like, racecraft that rc guys have or like the etiquette and yeah i'm just like just sending it like if it's if i even think i can make the pass i'm going for it like you know i'm just not giving an f and so there i mean there so you're only a, what maybe f- a couple years in before you started racing with pillars uh, i met joe the first year i started racing so like i think i was only racing for about six months before i met him yeah well i mean you're i mean you're crazy talented on all the sh- stuff you know all this shit that i was just talking about right like you're able to just jump in and just kind of figure it out so it's like being able to 
like, yeah, you kind of had, you know, you're doing some racing on and off, and I'm sure you probably had other RC cars or stuff around, right? And it's just like you're just talking about the hand-eye coordination, but being able to, like, jump in. And I've always said, like, RC car racing is sometimes the most nervous thing I've ever done because you are not only are the driver, but you're the spectator at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. And so you're standing up there just going, ah. Yeah, I was just, like, racing this weekend, and, you know, someone asked me, like, what's more – what do you get more nervous doing racing motorcycles or this? I'm like, well, you know, the race jitters before are the same, but the, they just don't go away when you race RC. Cause you're not burning off any adrenaline. You're standing still. So all that emotion is just running through you and there's nowhere for it to go. Cause you're not exercising. It's a good way to put it. So yeah. like, that's where like, the, you know, like you, you'll start shaking or like, <laughs> you know, it just gets intense. And yeah, yeah the spectators part of it. I mean, you're battling you see if someone's closing up on you right you know like it's just it's yeah. it's more intense for sure yeah i, I think uh yeah, it, with all racing it's all this emotion that gets thrown in right and so it's like you see people like kind of like maybe talking shit about other people like that guy gets too pissed off or this happens or you know there's all this drama and it's like yeah there's bad drama too but i feel like some of the drama is is all that emotion i mean it's that means that you give a shit, right? You care about trying to do good or you care about something, right? And so if you don't do good, but I've never heard it put that way to where it's like, you're not doing anything. Cause you see people just like, yeah, completely freaking out on the driver's stand, just going like, ah, and then, you know, just, you know, taking it down. I had one guy in sweatpants yell at me one time and I was just, <laughs> you know, he's like, if you do that again, I'm going to put you into the wall. And I just looked at him and I go, dude, you're wearing sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. I think, for sure. It's just the fact that you're just standing there. You don't, there's nowhere for that energy to go. I mean, when I'm, as soon as you're on a, you know, you're racing motocross and that gate drops, like you can control that, you know, like, yeah, maybe there's, if you're in a battle or someone's closing up on you, like it can still get kind of mental and those nerves can still get to you, but you're not like shaking or freaking out, you know, like right. it, you're, you're burning that off. So, you know, normally once the race is going, you're kind of calm and you know, you're in the zone, but yeah, when you're racing RC cars, it's like, yeah, there's nowhere for that to go. So like, you just kind of have to, you just have to control it and it can be difficult. Yeah. I remember meeting Joe Pillars. So, I mean, Joe, for those of you who don't know, has been in the RC industry forever and he's kind of moved his way up through the ranks. And then now he's been team managers of all kinds of different crews and, you know, travels around the world and stuff. And, uh, he was the first person that I met where I was like, he turned the whole knob on RC racing to me and like, Oh, this is like a legitimate, not that I didn't know that it was legitimate, but all the way down to like back when he was Kyosho team manager, like set literally setting me up like a full truck, like full kit all the way fact, like a factory kit, you know? And so there's another, for, for me, I'm going from a Traxxas that I'm, you know, I've had RC cars through my whole life, but like you're n never set up. It was just keeping them moving. It's never like setting up the suspension, never setting up, you're changing like the bulkhead. Like I remember one time he had the, he had the, uh, Kyosho truck and he's like, Oh, we just came back from this big race overseas. And we realized that this needs to happen. And it was just a small, like one millimeter, like washer that he put up in the front and it completely changed the drive ability of that truck. And I was just like blown away. And I was like, this is wild, you know, but it's the same thing that's always been said, right? It's all like setup will transfer through to car racing, to, you know, motorcycle racing. And that's what it's all about. But he was the first one and he's kind of been a mentor to you a little bit, but he was the first one that kind of opened my eyes to, 
you know, the amount of money that like RC car drivers make and they just travel the world and like the whole thing. And I was like, Oh, all right. Yeah. It's, it's a full blown career. You know, there's, you know, there's the racers, there's the, the team managers, the product developers, designers, you know, all all the stuff. It's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. You know, I could have, Joe was trying to groom me to kind of be the guy to come up and be that next top racer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had some success. Like I was going to, you know, national level events and making main events. But the thing about RC that's just kind of gnarly is, you know, those big races, they're like four or five day things. You know, you show up on a Wednesday practice, you practice Thursday, you qualify Saturday, you qualify or Friday, Saturday. And then it all comes down to like, three five minute main events right and you've spent you know countless days there and if you screw up in those five minutes like it sucks you know like you just spent you know almost a week and it comes down to that five minute race so like that or or two or two dollar part or whatever yeah so that part of it like the top guys i don't know how they do it because they're just they're racing you know three four times a month it seems like and uh they're at the track three, four, five days a week, one or two days off, back at it. And they maintain all their own cars. Like, that's the thing, you know, Supercross guys, they aren't working on their own stuff. Like, these RC car racers, they're racing 10th scale electric, and they usually have a two-wheel drive buggy, a four-wheel drive buggy, sometimes a two-wheel drive truck. So they're maintaining three vehicles for that. Plus, they're doing eight scale. They have an e-buggy and an e-truggy and then they have their nitro buggy nitro truggy so there's mm-hmm. four vehicles there so like they're constantly wrenching prepping practicing traveling racing so it's like it, it it's crazy like it, it could burn you out so for me like rc has been just kind of my you know it's always been a hobby and i kind of want to keep it that way because that's right. i think why it's fun Mm-hmm. You know, you take anything too serious, it becomes kind of a job. And right. I, I just, for me, it's, I might, I feel like I'm almost more into RC car racing now than ever. Like that's all I've been doing lately and I just can't get enough of it. So, well, Hey, I'm, I'm right there with you. I also have a container in my backyard <laughs> <laughs> that you drive from and a two, I have two tracks though. <laughs> you got two tracks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have to keep the the neighborhood Monday night series happening. So, but yeah, you've been out there a few times, and you see that, and like that is the fun part, right? It's the it's just seeing everybody have a good time, and you know, I think something about the business of RC that I always think about, and I'd love to, I need to get Joe on one of these and dig into it more. But as most everything gets more expensive, right? It's like nobody has five hundred thousand dollars to go build a you know an off road truck and go race it, but they could maybe scrap together five hundred dollars and get themselves a you know short course truck and you know come out to places like your track or you know some of the other you know racing facilities around portland or or, you know have have a good time right in a you know scale scaled down version right so because it still teaches you all the same thing like wrenching and stuff you know i mean i feel like i get a lot of my wrenching abilities from when i was a kid trying to figure out how to keep all that stuff moving you know yeah make for sure like i i remember yeah, the, those first times at A-Main Raceway, like, I had zero mechanics, mechanical skills. Like, I couldn't even change the wheels on my short course truck, which is just a, you know, 7-millimeter nut. And I'm like, hey, Dak, you changed my tires? And, like, <laughs> you know, I learned, you know, how to build the kits, you know, how to do all the stuff, how to do the setup stuff. And that totally transferred over to starting to work on my own motorcycles. And, yeah. and so, 
yeah, I think it's a cool thing for, for kids to get into like dads and their sons or daughters, whoever, you know, getting your kids into something like RC cars, it will teach them a lot about, you know, working on stuff that will transfer over to, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, what, so like in between some of those bigger races, would you just be doing like preventative? Like what would be a go-to, like you show up, you see the track, you have a practice session like you're just throwing the car out there to kind of like just see what happens and then it, it could be good you could be looking for tires you, you change the suspension you yeah digging into like gearing uh, like what are you doing yeah i would say like 90 percent of it is just your tires you know so if i'm like there's a couple big races a year that you know back when i would say i was the most into rc like before all the carpet stuff, because now, now we race on carpet primarily at indoor tracks, but back when it was all dirt and rear motor, yeah, you know, like dude, this was like 10 years ago. It seems like now probably, right. um, yeah, there'd be like one or two big races a year. I'd build a brand new car for it, but you kind of get a base setup, like mm-hmm. whatever I run at my home track. Like I'm usually working off a base setup with a couple minor tweaks to whatever track I go to. Like the biggest change would just be tires. Like, okay, this track, we need to run a softer compound or a harder compound, or we're running slicks instead of treads, mm-hmm. or we're using tire sauce or not using tire sauce. Like typically once you kind of have a good base setup, you don't deviate too far from it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it's mostly just like the tire thing, maybe changing shock oil, thickening it up or lightening it up shock springs, but nothing too crazy. You yeah. know, once now, you get set up, unlike your base setup would be, would you be changing like a, the way a different, a differential reacts or would you be changing like the toe or the t- you know, front end of the tires or back then we all ran ball diffs. So, you know, you could tighten it or loosen it depending on the traction that's available mm-hmm. and, you know, or whether you need your car to rotate more, or rotate less. And, you know, nowadays on the surfaces we're running like, cause a lot of these tracks, the hobby for better or worse has kind of shifted from all these dirt tracks to all these carpet indoor tracks, at least in the Pacific Northwest, because, you know, it rains a lot. So we're indoors anyway, but you know, a track doesn't have to be shut down for two three days to do a track change. You can, yeah. you know, take these carpet tracks that have wooden jumps with carpet laid over, rearrange the track layout in like an hour. Right. And, uh, so on, on these surfaces, for the most part, all the tracks pretty much have the same carpet, so we run the same tires everywhere. So that's been the best thing for, that's been the best thing about it is like, I remember, you know, when we raced at Portland RC raceway in Clackamas, you know, what, like our tire strategy was completely different to the next closest track in Olympia. Yeah. You know, they, they allowed tire sauce. So like we had to run totally different tires and everybody kind of has that home track knowledge as to what works. So yeah. like it made it really hard for like people to travel to different tracks and be competitive because there's kind of this secret track knowledge that kind yeah. of went with it. And that was kind of a fun thing. It's kind of anywhere, any, any type of dirt racing though. Right. Motorcycles, yeah. like you yeah. know, dirt track, like for sure. Above, you know, for sure. But yeah, at least now it's kind of like now we really almost don't change anything. Cause if the, the surface is the same, which it, it pretty much is track to track, you know, there's four or five tracks within, you know, two, three hours around here. And yeah, the setup, everything, it's nowadays we're we're almost just messing with electronics. Like back in the day, you didn't have many adjustments. So like Joe, for example, he'd set up my stuff, and that's what I would run everywhere. 
no matter what. Yeah. And now it's like, even at my local track, uh, PDX RC underground, like I'm changing my, my uh, electronic speed control settings basically every single time I go to the track and it's layout dependent. You know, if it, if the track has a lot of one eighties and like speed check areas, like I need to, I need more brakes in my speed control. Yeah. If it's really fast and flowing, I'll take out some brakes to make it less sensitive when I'm, you know, stabbing the brake trigger, you know, so I'm not killing my momentum. So like, or, you know, if there's a big straightaway, you need more power. So like now we're just going into right. these, these ESCs and adjusting that like crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, I see, I, I still personally love dirt, right? Cause that's, I mean, that's what my house is. And I like, like how it always changes, but I understand the concept, right? Like if I, if I owned a track, I'd want to change the layout weekly. Right. So it makes sense. Right. Um, does anybody go into, it seems like a lot of them are really flat. I mean, there's the jumps. Does anybody go into it to where they're actually putting, making it rougher, like in corner, you know, like putting stuff under the carpet to like make it to where it's a little, there's not just a one line, the insides of the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. People have done or that. Or is it hard to like roll over the carpet weird? Yeah. People have done that. Like they've put, uh, yeah, like I've seen <laughs> like a long time ago, me and Joe went to this race and they put like broomsticks Oh yeah, <laughs> and like to this day, we always joke about it because like Joe just could not get through that section, right. and like this was a time when Joe was like definitely better than me still, but like, and I was still kind of coming up, but like yeah. I beat him that day, yeah. and like he was he was not stoked <laughs> on it, and I'm just you know like giving him crap about it on the drive back home, and uh, so yeah, no, for sure, I, and for my track actually, that's one thing I don't like about carpet is yeah, typically you know these indoor places they're flat. And you, you can't really do a whole lot with these wooden jumps. I mean, they're kind of like skate park jumps. You can't get like too crazy with the elements. Yeah. But a lot of these European carpet tracks and turf tracks, these artificial surfaces, some of them will build the track out of dirt and then lay the carpet over it. So you can get like a big, oh, okay. you can get a big banked corner or you can get like a dome shaped feature. So yeah. that, that's something I'm thinking about doing to mine is going away from, these wooden jumps and going to more of like a natural terrain type in, in some areas, but then still have it flat in some areas to throw some jumps. Maybe, or? maybe, but I mean, may I could just do it all like, you know, back before there was this one track in Albany that when they first switched to turf, they left their dirt track and they just put the turf over it. Yeah. So you, it still had a lot of the same, you know, features features and stuff so that that's something i kind of want to try but obviously with that you're kind of it's going to be a more permanent of a layout yeah which is fine i'm not like running races here too often right you know it's probably going to be a a june through september thing like once or twice a month so right it's not like the other tracks you know they're racing two three times a week yeah i feel like that's how you have to survive here in the northwest is it's winter time right but then the downfall for that is nobody wants to go inside to race rc in the summer because like it's you know everything else is happening right yeah and that's that's where like you know i had the idea to do my track was you know i'm fortunate i i have the space for it but yeah it's just like being outside is is a lot of fun and we used to have this track called dave's rc tracks out in hubbard and that Mm -hmm. was like the best outdoor dirt 10 skill rc car track there was in the states so like since that went away there's been kind of a avoid for all these local racers you know to do dirt yeah which obviously like in 
the hobby again has kind of shifted more so to these high traction surfaces. Like even all these dirt races that are going on for 10th scale now, they're like putting glue on the track. They're like mixing it in these sprayers and they're sealing these dirt surfaces and they're running slicks everywhere, all these tracks. So like when you go and buy a, you know, 10th scale tool drive buggy, you know, the, it's basically the same exact kit that I have for carpet. Like there's no real differences anymore. Like they're just, the hobby has just gone a completely different direction. So you don't really have any cars that are going to work on a true true loose surface, like at your house, for example. So yeah, for better or worse, it's the hobby's changed. I I definitely, I preferred it, you know, 10, you know, nine, 10 years ago when we were running rear motors. Yeah. So for people not understanding that if they're not RC people, so like the rear shock tower, you know, the, the motor would be behind that. So you have that weight in the back of the car to get grip. That's yeah, like a VW bug or something, right? Yeah. So like now as this, as these surfaces are getting faster and higher traction, now they're putting the motor in front of the tower, you know, more central to the car. And, and they're also putting these low transmissions, you know, they're trying to get the weight forward and lower, you know, cause the higher grip you want that weight you know, more center and, you know, lower to the ground. But, uh, yeah, it just doesn't work on, you know, your, your average dirt track anymore. Like really the only thing you can drive outdoors nowadays is a four wheel drive buggy or a short course. Yeah. And even the short courses are getting hard to drive because same deal. They're all, you know, mid motor. Yeah. Yeah. We want to, uh, we want to do a, a, like a vintage race out at my house kind of for that sole reason to give people a reason to drive either their old cars or, you know, like even old RC 10 team associated, you know, the original rear buggy type motor cars, even up to like, I think you were telling me like a associated makes one that's like a ready to run. Yeah. yeah ready the- to run buggy that has a rear engine, but just kind of give people like a reason to do that stuff, you know, cause it's, I think there's a, just like you're saying, there's a lot of people that do want to race in the dirt and still, still all see all that stuff. Um, go to but but yeah that's when i was driving over here i was that's what i was thinking about i was like man i could talk to andy about like 10 different things for probably an hour oh so like (laughs) yeah stuff that me and you have personally been involved in like you know i've announced you racing for years um you know you've done dream race stuff like hooligan stuff i mean you've won hooligan national championships i mean i'm sitting here i'm sitting here in your living room i can see like your office there's a ton of trophies in there all your helmets behind me there's like a first place for the uh which was that the, uh, that was a super hooligan race in California. It was like in conjunction with yeah, some a surf, surf thing. Yeah. It's a big surfboard. That's cool. Dash for cash. One motorcycle show stuff. Like, like, is there one event that stands out to you and like all the stuff? I mean, we've talked about RC racing, you know, for a while now, but you moving into like, I mean, RC could be too, but like, what's, is there one event that sticks out into your head that was like one that you won or, you know, I mean, obviously you've won championships too, but like, is there like a single event that you were like, that was awesome or, or something that, you know, was like, you were, it could, maybe you weren't trying for, maybe you're just kind of going there to see how it went, or maybe you were like training for it for a while or building something special. Is there something that sticks out? There's a few, there's a few, uh, one of them would for sure be Nitro World Games in 2019. So like Nitro Circus, they, you know, had their Nitro World Games event at Utah Motorsports Campus. So they mm-hmm. had rally car Nitrocross racing, they had quarter pipe big air, they had, you know, BMX, just all sorts of stuff. And they also had super hooligan flat track racing. And 
that was a cool event because it wasn't your typical dirt track race. It was actually on a go-kart track. So it was basically a supermoto type race, but we're doing it on our, you know, big twin heavy, you know, uh, hooligan flat track bikes with no front brakes. And yeah, that one was really cool. They had like a super, super pole qualifying session. So you're just, you'd get one warm up lap and two hot laps to set your best lap. And that set, you know, the, the starting order for the races. And I, I went out, I was the second, to last guy I set pole position. I beat Joe cops lap yeah. time. And for those who don't know Joe cop, he's like a grand national champion, flat track legend and a rival of mine in that series. And then the last guy to go out was Travis Pastrana. I remember when I came into the pit <laughs> lane, you know, he's rolling out past me. We pass by and he, he gives me the thumbs up, you know, the I was iconic like, thumbs, tra- Pastrana yeah, thumbs up. that was pretty cool. And, uh, he didn't beat my time, but, uh, but yeah, that race, I ended up winning it. And, you know, there was just a bunch of other nitro circus guys that came over and tried to race. So it was cool to, to win that. And, I got a cool trophy for it. And then that night we all went out to like an after party in Salt Lake city and it was, you know, Travis and his crew yeah, and everybody. And it was me and my dad, <laughs> my dad, Keith. And I, I was, it was so awkward for me cause I didn't really know a lot of the people and a lot of the hooligan racers didn't show up. So I was just like kind of too shy to like try to go hang out with Travis or anybody. Right. So we just kind of, I just felt like, the odd man out like looking in at this like <laughs> crazy party and i'm just like i had no idea what to do <laughs> it's yeah. kind of i wish i wish i would have you know uh try to get in there introduce myself to a few people and you know but it was really cool that experience was a lot of fun then there's daytona 2022 that one was one i didn't really know what to expect because i'd never been to daytona and this was a, a moto america road race but this is really the the transition from super hooligans being a flat track series to super hooligans becoming a road racing series and like a professional, you know, type series. Because yeah. before it was always like just whoever. It was for, it was for a little bit more for fun, and it was you know yeah rolling sands like kind of just you know bringing in fun stuff. Yeah, it's still pretty loose, but like compared to what it was, it's you know now you got Moto America involved in this you know big twenty five page rule book instead of like two rules. Uh, but yeah, I went to Daytona. I drove there. So it was a four and a half day drive, but you know, I loaded up my van, loaded up my, my KTM 890 Duke R and drove out there. And I just kind of watched some videos of racing out there. And, you know, so Daytona, you know, obviously you got the big oval and then they have a road course in the infield. So we use, we use that infield part. And then we go, we come out, we hit NASCAR turn one, two, go down the back straight away. There's a little chicane and then we're back on NASCAR turn three and four, you know, and you come back. So, so is it the same as like the 24 hour? Some very similar. They, yeah. they have a couple different configurations, but yeah, basically, basically like that. And, uh, yeah, we, we, we get there. My crew didn't, you know, show Dude, up. Dude, how, the... how cool was it just to walk into, I've never been to oh. Daytona. How cool is it just to walk in there for your first time? Or did you it, drive in? Like we drove in. Like, so you drove in through the tunnel or whatever, right? Drove and in you through kind the of tunnel. Pop out. Were you just like, how, how did this Oregon kid just show up here with a. <laughs> yeah, it, it was crazy. My first time there was actually for a American flat track race. So I'd been there a couple times for flat track, but yeah, my first time riding it was wild. And like, if I were to try to try to drive my, 
my moto van on that banking, it would just roll down it. It's so <laughs> steep. So like it, it's the you yeah. know pictures, videos don't do it justice. It literally is banked like crazy. It reminds me of like those old Hot Wheels like slot tracks. Well, yeah, you you see a, somebody standing on it, you think it's a fake photo. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, I, remember, I showed up there for that road race. We got like one fifteen minute practice session, one fifteen minute qualifier. Somehow I qual I think I qualified I can't remember if I qualified first or second. I think I qualified second. I think yeah, I think if I remember right, I remember looking at the qualifier times and you're right there. Yeah. But uh I ended up winning it and you know, I led I led the whole race and then the last lap coming out of the chicane, I had a guy behind me and I, I, I from everything I watch a video wise beforehand, I'm like, you don't want to be leading coming you know out of this chicane because you get drafted Mm -hmm. daytona is a huge huge track very fast very long and the draft is everything so we kind of had a little bit of a gap to third and i made like i was hoping i was going to get passed before this but it didn't happen so i come out of there and i just had this like quick instinct to like look back stop accelerating i hadn't reached full throttle yet but like i just stopped accelerating after I looked back and saw the gap and I let the guy by and I'm like, man, this is either going to be the dumbest thing I ever did. Cause I'm like throwing <laughs> my lead- own race. Yeah, you're leading and you decided to let him go by. Or it's going to be the smartest thing ever. Cause I'm just baiting him. And if he takes the bait, then I'm going to be the one <laughs> in, in control of the race and drafting him to the line. And that's exactly what happened. And I timed it perfect. Like it couldn't have been, it couldn't have been done any better and third place was also closing too. And like third place closed up right at the line. So like, had I let him buy later or sooner, like maybe it didn't work out, but yeah, it just, it was probably the most baller thing I've ever done. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you just, won Daytona. And just like, it was so savvy. Like, and the announcer was like freaking out. He's like, Debrito, oh, <laughs> fatal mistake. You know, yeah, like yeah. He, he thought I had screwed it up and then bam, man, it, I, it came back around and. I got sucked into that draft and dude, this, the draft at Daytona, man, it, it sucks you in and you just gain all this speed. Yeah. And, uh, I remember, well, I got sucked in watching it cause I was, I think I was on my phone or something and I was watching it and I'm like, Oh no. And like, Meg's <laughs> like, what's going on? What are you doing? And I was like, Oh, I go, Debrina just got passed. It's on the last lap. And then you said, I'm like, Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's just the draft is such a crucial thing. Cause if you, if you draft too early, you lose that momentum, right? So when, once the draft kind of sucks you by the guy, you get like, you get a little bit of a you know push and air forward, but then that goes away, and then you're the guy pushing all yeah. the air, and so yeah, it just worked out. The timing of it and everything worked out, and fortunately, like I spent a lap or two in one of the qualifiers or practices, practicing a draft and making sure that my bike was actually going to be able to keep up and get sucked into a draft with that rider. Mm-hmm. So I, I had done a little bit of homework to like be able to kind of calculate that, I guess you could say, and make sure like I kind of knew where it needed to be done, how much of a gap I needed to give him. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was, it was for sure. Like there was some luck involved in that. Like everything just worked out perfect. Like just had to make that split second decision. And 
it was so cool. And I, I felt so, I felt like dirty afterwards. I'm like, dude, I just punked this guy so hard. Like I, I felt bad for him. I mean, he ended up winning the next round. So he got his, you know, he got his day, but like, yeah, dude, I'm just like, I just felt bad for the dude. I'm like, man, that's got to be kind of embarrassing. Yeah. But you, I mean, just the, I mean, Daytona 500 was just what yesterday or yesterday or Sunday, they had a rain delay, but that's all they do the whole time. You have to play the at those speeds. You're just playing. You're finding, you know, the the draft and following and waiting for the right moment. And all that's even crazier when you have that many people. You know, those that many variables. I mean, that situation I was in, it was just, you know, one or two guys. But like when there's there's other motorcycle races where there's a pack of ten guys that can win. So yeah. like, how do you manage that? I that's a whole other <laughs> thing, you know. And Daytona is such an anomaly from all these other tracks we go to, there's nothing like it. So yeah, Daytona, it, it's uh it's a fun track, but it really doesn't um, like the way the season is going to go. Isn't really defined by that track. Yeah. Cause it's so different. So and that, what, what series was that? Was that, you said who? that was Moto America. Okay. So Moto, America. Moto America now runs the super hooligan class. So it's it's a flat or a road race series. So out of I mean Supermoto, you also race. I don't think I said that. So Supermoto, you have motocross. Um, then you have the Super Hooligan, Road America. Like, what's your favorite two wheel sport that you compete in? Oh man, it's hard. It's just it's hard to say. I, I I think that's why I ride a lot of different things. You know, for me, I feel like road racing is what I'm what I'm best at. You know, I've certainly focused the majority of my, you know, life road racing, like, you know, focusing and being serious about that. I mean, I grew up racing motocross and the kids I grew up racing with were Matt Bachelia and when I was younger, Justin Hill, like him and I learned how to ride dirt bikes together down at Albany. Mm -hmm. So like motocross always has that like part in my heart that this is like what I cut my teeth doing. And this is what I did first. And then I got into supermoto. Then the next, when that happened, I was, I just turned 13. And then I got into road racing the following year at 14 and flat track when I was maybe 18 or 19. So it all just kind of like, there was nothing, nothing was ever really planned. It was just like, Hey, somebody's like, there's a supermoto race out at McMinnville. And this is when, uh, Elaine, yeah, was running events, and uh, that's how we got sucked into supermoto. And then, what about Pat's Acres? Did they ever do any supermoto back then? At Pat's yeah. Acres, yeah, yeah, started racing there. So yeah, it's like my dad and I we would we'd race Thursday at motocross religiously, and then Friday convert the bikes to supermoto, go race supermoto <laughs> no Saturday Sunday, and then convert them back and go motocross. You know, the next Thursday. So we did that for like a summer, and then my dad was just sick and tired of converting bikes so then we finally got dedicated bikes for supermoto yeah do you i mean thinking like thinking of all this do you wish that you would have just focused on like one like profession or do you kind of see it now as like you have a lot of different tools you know in your toolbox now like you can because as we know right like and like motocross and supercross is kind of like the the pinnacle you know road racing is those series have kind of gone up and down there's not at I mean, there's probably money for like the high end guys or something, right? 
Um, Supermoto, same thing. We saw we saw it go super high back in like the Jeff Ward, you know, days of like Troy Lee design teams. And this is what that would probably been like oh five, oh six, oh seven, somewhere ish around yeah. there. Then that kind of went down. Um, Hooligan came up, was really fun. But then it was also kind of like like you're saying earlier kind of for the working man i know there's probably a little bit guys are probably a little bummed on you because you're kind of like a professional racer but not really but still kind of in the hooligan class you know but then winning those championships and then um but yeah i don't know like is there do you wish you would have stuck like really focused on one or you know i i don't think so i i think about it and it's like what if my dad pushed me to be a motocrosser like i remember because matthew bachelia was my neighbor and like, I remember going to the races a couple times with him and his parents. And I remember it being kind of uncomfortable because they're like, you know, really serious about it. And like, right. I remember Matthew not having the best race. And like I said, not to go into any detail, but I'm just like awkwardly, just like not looking at anybody in, in their right. RV because someone's getting talked to. Yep. And so I'm like, man, you know if I would have gone that route and if my dad was pushing me to be a serious racer, maybe I would have gotten hurt or I would have gotten burnt out. But instead we just did everything for fun. And like, I have all these amazing memories with my dad and, uh, yeah, I didn't really like get serious about like maybe being a pro racer till I was 17 or 18. So like junior, senior year in high school, I was like starting to get really good at racing supermoto. And, uh, that's when it was like, man, like, oh, maybe I could do this for a career. You know, growing up, you know, obviously idolizing guys like Travis Pastrana who do everything. Right. Like, I wanted to be like Travis, but, like, there was no there was no real plan or real pathway. Like, just growing up, it was just me and my dad doing lots of fun stuff together, you know, trying out some different things, you know. And honestly, I almost probably quit road racing there because when I first started, I wasn't very good. And, but it was a big investment to start road racing. So my dad's like, Hey, you, you wanted to do this. So you have to stick it out. Right. And you know, you made a commitment, so you got to follow through with it. So if it wasn't for that part of it, maybe I wouldn't have stayed road racing and I wouldn't be where I'm at now. But yeah, I, I I look at, I think about that sometimes I'm like, you know, I'm happy the way it happened. It did because you know, I've had it pretty good pretty, pretty oh, yeah. lucky and dude when i think about andy debrino at the track i think about your dad too and he always <laughs> has the biggest smile and i always walk over and chat with him I'm like because he's tinkering on something he's got some idea oh i don't know we're gonna set try to set it up a little different here he's gonna go out and try to get you know some uh you know see how he can get this qualifying session done and we're gonna or even you know up to like the dirt track stuff you know he's just in there tinkering and trying to figure it out you know a way and then he's always got that big smile going on so yeah i know he loves watching you watching you race. So it's cool to hear that that was, you know, kind of what you've been thinking about too. And, and then even here, like even at your house, right. It's like your parents are just right across the way, you know? So you're, you're still, you're, you know, they're still right there, but you know, and he's kind of slowed down a lot. Cause I'd see him riding a lot too there with you. Like it's say Thursday night motocross back in those days and stuff, but it's gotta be killer to have him continuing to, you know, push you and have, have a good time. So. Yeah. 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 I got it. I got the best dad and you know, my mom's awesome too. She's always been supportive, but, uh, yeah, I wish my dad rode more. It's tough. Cause he kind of had a couple injuries. You know, one of them wasn't even his fault. Like some dude crashed into him on the start at Salem flat track and he broke his tib fib and then that wasn't healing. Right. And he had to have surgery. So that kind of slowed him down for a bit. 
then we then he was kind of still road racing and you know he has a cr 500 and oh yeah you know he would <laughs> jump the uh the super kicker freestyle ramp to the airbag <laughs> which is only at about a 35 foot gap or so and uh you know so he'd come out and ride with us and we have our neighbor down the street that has a motocross track but then he had a, a shoulder injury racing the uh this was a couple years ago at that uh pir uh like gp grass race mm-hmm. they do he came up short on a jump and crashed and jacked up his shoulder and that as pretty much took him took him out for the better part of a year and i, I got him out at riverdale a couple months ago but like this year my goal is to get him out and do some supermoto because he still has a supermoto bike yeah and uh Actually, that bike does everything. It's a 06 CRF 450R. We got a motocross setup for it, supermoto, flat track. So that's kind of the bike that we've used it for a million different things. Like I was flat tracking it yeah. last winter. And uh, so yeah, I'm trying to get him out on that this year. I think he's kind of decided he's done road racing. And, you know, he'll probably ride some moto here and there. But racing, he just doesn't have much interest yeah. anymore. I think you need it just like your Debrino cartoon. If you, you need to have a de, uh, uh, your dad's cartoon of him standing there with a smile and a wrench in his hand yeah 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 so yeah I, I you know for me there's definitely like a big part of why i love you know racing is for sure because of him so i hope hope i can get him back out there doing a bit more this year you know he uh obviously is always at the track with me for the most part you know when we're going road racing and that's another part of why he kind of slowed down is like as we got more serious it required more attention from him you know because we for a while we used to race together at least in the beginning we'd go out and race against each other yeah and uh like i remember one weekend it was raining at pir and we were racing suzuki sv 650s which, which are like 650 twin cylinder road race bikes that go 140 miles an hour maybe so they're not yeah. like crazy fast but you know he like whole shotted every race and crashed every race <laughs> and he like never made it a whole lap and you know <laughs> he just like he thought he had this like speed in the rain i don't know what he was thinking but like there's this picture of me passing him as he's sliding off the track you know he was okay but like it's we always joke around about that weekend like he he, he's like yeah he he felt he had something that weekend and but it just never worked out is he uh is he retired yet or no man yeah is he still doing the paint is it the paint gig yeah still running drew paints down in portland manufacturing all sorts of uh industrial coatings and the the cool thing i guess he does is they make uh f1 and moto gp track paint so oh, wow he's the only uh manufacturer in north america that is approved for um the fim and the fia to do the track for tracks like circuit of the americas or laguna seca they did the vegas f1 race they did the miami gp f1 race that's all his paint oh wow so it's basically paint with like sand mixed into it so that it gives it that that grippy texture i should get you should get some samples i can do my uh, slot car track they could be like yeah this is f1 paint dude for sure <laughs> yeah he uh he supplied track there was a an on-road rc car track called time zone up in washington and they had his track paint i have some some like stuff out there that has a, a little bit of the paint on it but uh yeah that's cool we, we can make that happen it's it's not like I, I would say maybe that's like 10% of his business. You know, it's mostly... But it's a cool 10%, right? It, it is cool. Yeah, it is cool. Like, uh, you know, they've the tracks have offered him tickets to like the, the Grand Prix and stuff before. But 
usually we're so busy we don't have we've never been able to make it out to that but yeah he's he would love to be retired but you know he had a motorcycle racer son so that makes it a lot harder <laughs> well he's just like you and like all of us right we can't just sit still right we no gotta, it, it, retired from him would just be he's no longer doing the paint gig it's he's he'd be doing something else yeah know? he his thing nowadays is he has his airplane he bought like a not like a expensive airplane but like i don't know it, it relatively inexpensive airplane older and he's flying that now. So that means don't fly with him. <laughs> I haven't flown with him. My mom's flown with him. Some friends of mine have flown with him, but I don't really have any interest in it. I'm kind of scared yeah. <laughs> to go in there, to be honest. I mean, it's like a, it, I think he said it's like a 1948, it's like an old freaking plane. Like everything's mechanical, which he tells me that's better because it's like less prone to like accident and obviously like planes they're really strict like you have to have all these logs and you, you, you can't just go work on your own plane you have to have someone who's certified so like yeah there's all these you know parameters in place to make sure it's you know nothing's gonna go crazy but like still it's an old plane uh, you know i don't know has he always been into that like or is he, he just yeah he he grew up on an airstrip oh okay that's where his uh his mom still lives and uh stepdad there in Hillsboro on a private airstrip. And uh yeah, he grew up there. His dad, you know, flew airplanes, his mom flies airplanes, his stepdad flies airplanes, so airplane family. He grew up uh playing with, you know, nitro R C airplanes. Mm-hmm. And that's what's funny is actually so he had he probably hadn't flown one of those in like forty years and then for Christmas he got one and we took it outside and he just ripped that thing. Like yeah. like it was nothing. I'm like, wow. Like, that's pretty cool. He's got I, the hand-eye, the Debrino hand-eye coordination dialed in, too. Yeah, like, I can't fly. I would. I, I could fly an airplane RC car, or not RC car, RC plane. I'd, I could fly one, I'm pretty sure, but I'm pretty sure I'd also crash it. <laughs> like, I've, I've flown, like, really tiny ones and, like, simulator, but, like, the yeah. one he had, it's, like, a three-and-a-half-foot wingspan. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure... Pretty sure I would have crashed it pretty quickly, but uh, he was able to do it. So yeah, he's got the plane thing going. So in all his free time, which is very little, that's what he does. And then, you know, obviously come out to the races and support me. Yeah. But uh, I need to do some RC out here, right? Because last time I was out here, I drove his car. Yeah, he he's factory because I do all the prep, I <laughs> handle all that stuff. So he just shows up and drives. So so you're you're the man with the wrench when it comes to the yeah dad, dad racing an RC. Yeah, the roles are reversed <laughs> there. I mean, yeah, my dad he's basically road race wrench guy nowadays. We're, yeah. You know, I don't have a flat track bike anymore. We're not really doing any flat track stuff right now. So, um, which I kind of miss that. You know, I miss doing that. But uh, yeah, you know the flat track kind of had its you know revival there for a bit it was really hot there was all these support all the support and budget and everything going into that and then now it's kind of shifted back to road racing yeah because road racing and flat track they're you know a lot of similarities and totally between them yeah i see like that back what's the bagger uh like the bagger class or something king of the baggers Yeah. yeah so yeah bagger harleys and indians and that's something I for sure could have jumped on. Like the first race they ever did it, I was supposed to ride for Harley, but it was kind of a last minute thing. And they ended up not getting the bike together. And Is that just kind of like a more of a marketing thing for the motors to it, like push? It, Cause it, that's what people ride. It, that. it was, but now it's like, 
now it's almost like bigger than Superbike in the United States. Like now there's actual like pro road racers from other countries wanting to come to the U.S. to race these baggers. Like Indian just signed this guy, Troy Herfrost, who he's an Australian Superbike champion. He used to race for KTM back when Supermoto was big in the United States. So like it's brought him into it. It brought this uh, Spanish guy who used to be a world Superbike racer, maybe even MotoGP. So like, yeah, the the bagger thing is where all the money's at. So like all the, there's not many paid rides in Moto America outside of Superbike and maybe one spot in the Supersport class. But there's a bunch of paid rides. Like, like when I say paid rides, like manufacturers or teams paying the rider to come ride. Um, there's lots of those in the bagger class right now. So that's definitely where a lot of you know, a lot of the companies that were into flat track have kind of shifted to road racing. Indian doesn't have a factory flat track effort anymore. Harley doesn't, but they have a road race effort. And yeah, they're, they're developing these baggers. And when it first started, it was kind of a, you know, a sideshow. Like, yeah, I think I saw Indians at the one, sh- didn't one of the Indian factory yeah. bikes was at the one show last year. Yeah. So the first year they did, it was 2020 and, yeah, it was kind of just a, let's see what happens. And no one took it seriously, but then it turned into like a, a four race series for 21 and then a six race series for 2022. And then an eight or 10 round series for 2023. And now it's like at every round. And I mean, these bikes are doing lap times like two or three seconds off a of super bike lap time. Yeah. When they first started, they were like 15 seconds off. So, like, the development is insane. I mean, these are basically almost MotoGP-level bikes where, you know, Harley and Indian, they're spending millions of dollars developing them, mm-hmm. and they're fast as heck, man. I mean, they're making superbike yeah. horsepower, like around 200 horsepower, but with crazy torque, and, you know, they got all these custom one-off parts, and they're, but they're still 620 pounds. There's a minimum weight rule, so they're still heavy, and... So do they get to move weight around? Do they get to like weight down below or is it like a, you can't add weight. You just have to get it to a certain. Well, I mean, the engines are so big and heavy and the frames are so big and heavy. So they still have to use the, you know, stock frame, but I I don't know all the rules, like what kind of, if they can brace the frame, I'm not sure what else, but like I've seen these swing arms they have, they have custom swing arms and I mean, you're talking about a huge hunk of aluminum being, you know, machined into a swing arm yeah. and, you know, they got crazy suspension. They they raised the ride height on them so high so that they don't drag the cases in the corners. That, the yeah, okay, that's funny because I remember looking at one. I'm like, God, oh, that seems really high for They're road very racing, tall. but that makes sense because the engine's so big. They got to be able to lean in with the bags. Yeah. They got to be able to lean them yeah. up. Yeah. So like there's rules about the, the bag dimensions. You can't make them too small. Like it's, it's like, it's a serious thing, but like. Yeah, they got like crazy electronics on them, and uh, they tried. Someone tried making a like uh, a hole shot device for one. Oh, really? And and you know they ended up like not allowing it. So like the tech that's in the bagger class is absolutely insane. It's it's by far like the most expensive and crazy class to try to compete in because <laughs> you got you know factory Harley, yeah. factory Indian going crazy with it so it's really cool like it's a fun class to watch and yeah you got you got like a whole new group of people coming to the races and all this new exposure and funding coming in for it and 
I've, I've thought about getting into it. Like last year I was supposed to ride for a team and they were going to pay me like good money to ride for the team. And I've never got paid really to race. So I was like, this is kind of cool. And unfortunately they ended up not doing it because they, they were supposed to get factory Harley engine support, but Harley didn't have enough resources to allocate them the engines they needed. And yeah. it, it was like a half a million dollar budget to run that team. So they're like, if we don't have the motors, we're not going to compete and spend that right. much money because that's how expensive the class is to race. That's, that's the level it's at to race a bagger. You're taking a, you know, 40, $50,000 bagger and then turning it into a quarter million dollar race bike with all these parts that go on it and all yeah. this custom stuff. So, okay. So here's your marketing plan. Debrino goes racing bagger class. Start growing your hair out now. <laughs> I could do a good mustache. I, to me, the you, this is how you roll in. You get yourself a either a I don't you can't go CD player. I think you got to go tape tape deck so it doesn't skip. Right? You get yourself a tape deck in it and just big ass speakers. And as you roll out, like the umbrella girls are out there, you're just cranking some like Leonard Skinner or something like that. Right? Nobody else. Everybody else ripped their speakers out. Right? Their <laughs> bones out. You're like, nope. I'm racing with speakers on. <laughs> That was that was the joke. Like, unfortunately, the rule book won't allow that. But like, that was the joke. Whereas, like, the first round, like the first time they ever did it, I was like, "Yeah, let's do that." And <laughs> and uh, also, like, let's stuff those saddlebags full of like beer or something. Yeah. You know, like the to me the funny like have cooler water leaking out of it on the starting like, grid. Like how funny! Like imagine some dude crashing. And then the, the the saddlebags open up and beers just flying out, spraying everywhere, <laughs> sliding across the track with the, the the brighter like. Dude, you would be the people's champ. You'd be the only. They're like, yeah, you got to root on for for Debrino because every once in a while, beers fly out of his bike. You hear Leonard Skinner for the hall. Well, down if the it's track. my bike, it's probably uh, it's at uh, Angry Orchards, <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that's good. Broken stuff. glass everywhere. Oh yeah, uh, man. Uh, it's cool. It's cool to see though. I mean, it's just like you're talking about. It's just that's a marketing plan for the motorcycle industry to sell more bikes like that, right? Sell more Harleys with bags on it. Sell more Indians with bags on them. Yeah, they're, they're seeing those guys just hauling ass around, you know, all these tracks. So yeah, definitely. If I wasn't like focused so much on this this KTM relationship I have, I think I'd be racing baggers. That that's also been kind of a thing. Like I I've kind of done my thing with Harley before with flat track and. I tried, I almost did something with Indian and, uh, so when the bagger thing started, I, I was almost kind of wanting to stay away from it a little bit cause I, I didn't really th- see it becoming what it is now. I almost thought it was just going to be a fad that just came and went kind of quick Yeah, and maybe it, maybe it does go away at some point, but yeah, I definitely maybe missed the mark there, but I'm, I'm kind of happy where I'm at now, but, uh. But yeah, the the hooligan thing too is kind of blown up in its own way because the street bike market, that's what really sells. You don't see a lot of full fairing street bikes on the street anymore. I mean, me personally, I hate riding, you know, a sport bike on the street. It's uncomfortable on the track. It's a different story, but right. on the street, I want to ride like a fun naked bike, you know, like a, like a KTM Duke or, you know, Yamaha's got their bikes, you know, or, uh, even when I was riding Harleys, I had like a more of a cruiser, you know, something that's more comfortable, more playful on the street. Cause you can't really, you, legally, you can't really have any fun on a, on a real sport bike. Cause right. they're just too fast. You know, yeah. you, by the time you hit 
the end of first gear into second gear, you're already, you know, <laughs> hundred miles an hour. Yeah. So like you can't really like, I rather ride a slow bike fast than a fast bike slow on the street. Right. Like I, oh, I want to have, yeah, totally. I want to have fun. So yep. I think that's also, that's why the super hooligan class is doing really well with Moto America is because the, the, the hooligan class format, it really appeals to the main, you know, consumer street bike consumer. Cause you know, that's what's selling. I'm even seeing it at all these track days I go to seeing more and more naked bikes, you know, right. upright right. bars. Yep. And, uh, so that's kind of something that's fun to be part of and, and worked out great for me, you know, for it to kind of go from flat track to road racing. It's just kind of played in my hands pretty well. Yeah. So you chatted about money there for a little bit. I mean, have you, have you been able to make money out of, out of each one of these, like, you know, different sides of racing or is it, you know, I mean, earlier yeah. you talked about RC, you just wanted to keep that, you know, kind of a little bit more of a, of a hobby, but like you've obviously gone, you know, all in on two wheels, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for sure, things were pretty good before COVID. I mean, th- my peak years as far as earnings were definitely 2017, 18 and 19. I mean, I was fun. those the hooligan championship years in 2017, 2018. I won those back to back 2019 cop beat me. But yeah. Those were like the best years as far as like support and actually making money mainly because flat tracks way cheaper, right? Like I'm, Back then, I was riding for CC at Harley Davidson the first year, so like I had a bike provided, I had a budget provided, so I was I was profiting off all the races, and then the second year after winning the championship, you know I had a contract and salary with Fox. I had a you know salary from Rockstar Energy. I had mm-hmm. a salary from Latest Motors Harley Davidson. So like that, those were awesome years. Plus, I won motorcycles that were worth money. Like the first year when I won super hooligans by one single point, it was for a $50,000 Indian factory flat track bike. Yeah. And uh little side note there, like I wanted to race it, but the, the pro flat track series, they wouldn't give me my pro license to run that in the, the twins class. Oh really? Even after, <laughs> I, you know, super hooligans, it's not a professional championship or at least it wasn't back then, but I'd beaten Joe cop who was a professional flat track champion. And we're racing the same size motorcycles that I was trying to get a license for. They wouldn't license license me, so I ended up selling that bike, which you know it was it kind of sucked, but it was also kind of good because that, that was like thirty five grand someone paid me for that bike. Right. But uh, it was just kind of silly, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I, obviously, I ended up getting my license later on and racing that class. So like, I was qualified, but it was just like a, a silly a weird blip in the radar. It was a it was a really lame thing, like lame political thing back then, because like hooligans back then still kind of had that like that uh, association of being kind of the you know the blue collar, right. you know, roughhouser type <laughs> deal. And so like the pro series kind of looked at it as like a redneck stepchild that yeah. they didn't want to deal with. It was fun. So <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting so dizzy the, announcing you guys the first year up at Castle Rock because Tor made me, I don't know what he dressed me up as that year or whatever. Beetlejuice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to stand in the middle of the track and I'm just like round and round following you guys and you guys were battling, you know, and I'm just like, I got to stop following you. Yeah, I had to like basically like look for like corners three, four down the front straight away, you know, one, two, oh, and yeah. then turn around. That was, that would have been 2016. Cause that was the year that, uh, the boat 
flipped over. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it? Of, or for Dirtquake? Yeah. 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 Because I, I, that's before, yeah, it was Dirtquake. That was before it turned into the wild yeah, one. Yeah, because you and I were out drinking late riding 110s. Oh, yeah. That, that would go until 4 a.m. or that, whatever. That went for sure till 4 a.m. I remember coming back through the pits. Like, we had just kind of called it a night. And the bike ran out of gas, and I just coasted it in. <laughs> <laughs> coasted it into the RV. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I was sleeping are... in my truck. Back oh, really? <laughs> I, I had like a Silverado 1500, and not even like the full cab, and I was in the back all just jacked up. Like, luckily, I had a few drinks, so I slept fine, but the next morning was pretty sore. Yeah, you're young, though. I mean, we we always tell about those stories, those early dirtquake ones of like finding people passed out in the porta potties on their side, <laughs> finding somebody like, Lean like I remember there's a dude on a like an XR one hundred leaned up against a light pole asleep on it. Um I think Tor had to move somebody off of the sign up table that had fell fell asleep on the sign up table <laughs> so that he could start <laughs> sign up <laughs> or something. I don't know. That's and that's I'm glad he's I'm glad he's not doing it anymore, but yet again I'm also like bummed that it's not happening anymore because it's like one of those things where it could only go so good. Until it just got out of, out of hand, right? And it, well, I mean, to a lot of people, it was already out of hand. But <laughs> oh yeah, that <laughs> that's what made it fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, even the second year, so yeah, when it was still dirt quake, but that was like the first year of Super Hooligans, and that was around, and that was the the first round I ever won in Super Hooligans. Yeah. So that was kind of cool to get my first. That's definitely up there in the the rankings. You know, winning my first Super Hooligan race at Castle Rock, which was you know the home race for me. Yeah. And. uh just partying all night basically <laughs> <laughs> like i remember it was like 3 30 in the morning like the dj le- had left all already maybe it wasn't quite that late but like people were still in that like little like shed barn building and yeah. oh, there was yeah. a microphone and i was <laughs> i was like trying to rap or something like everyone was drunk and i was just like babbling on there and yeah you're then the- r- riding my pit bike till you know the sun came up oh yeah uh oh yeah <laughs> Those are good times. Good times. Uh, what about Debrino Designs? Like you've had you you not only have a knack for like being great racing, all the things we've chatted about, right? Two you know two wheels, even four wheels, and even drifting, right? That you've gotten involved in, which, um, but you have a knack for like design too, you know. And you've always did that start in the RC car, like doing your own RC painting stuff, and then you got into like graphic design and then now you're printing graphics and doing that stuff like how did that start uh i mean that started just being a little kid like i just always enjoyed any time in school and there's any sort of art projects like that was kind of what i excelled at and like i remember like you know elementary school like in my little binder i would be like drawing helmet designs like i was just like mcgrath was my McGrath and Strano were like my two favorites as a, a kid and I would uh draw stuff based off their helmets and Troy Lee. So I just like drawing cool helmet designs. I mm-hmm. I really just liked I was influenced by that a lot. So then when I got older in high school I took uh like an engineering class and they also had like a vinyl cutter for stickers and that's where I started making stickers you know, for the first time. And I, I thought I just had so much fun. Like I just come home and have all these stickers, you know, I'd make, I'd make all the stuff you couldn't get like Red Bull stickers. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, and you know, so I would like make my RC car all Red Bull. Like I remember heat pressing 
at school, like Red Bull logos on my jersey, like ultimate <laughs> goon, right? Like that's <laughs> not I cringe thinking about the stuff I used to do uh when I was younger, but uh yeah, I kinda learned that stuff through school and at the same time I was racing R C cars, so like I ended up my dad convinced my dad to buy me a vinyl cutter, which, you know, back then it was like seven hundred and fifty bucks and then I got all the materials. So we're in like in all in like twelve hundred bucks to get me going and I'm making all these stickers just like I'm making at school and uh I start selling them at the R C car track to people, you know, they want their name stickers, they want their sponsor logos and stuff. So I got my start with Debrino Designs there and then that I got so much use out of that vinyl cutter that uh I stopped working my first job and my only real job to this day, which was at the hobby town down in Wilsonville. Oh, really? I worked there for like a year, but yeah, I, I just, I had enough work to keep me busy at home. And then, uh, I remember my dad had painted an RC car body way back in the day for a T max. And I was like, Hey dad, like, can I get that airbrush out? And he's like, Oh, like, you know, you're not going to have the patience for it. Like, like he was like kind of against it, but I was like, no, I want to try it. So, uh, yeah, I started, paint RC car bodies got really good at that. So yeah, for, I mean, as a teenager, I was Debrino designs was mostly just RC car stuff, like paint jobs, stickers. I started doing custom, you know, clothing, uh, you know, I, I had a heat press and then, uh, from there I also started doing like road race graphics. So just doing, you know, die cut logos and numbers and stuff for people's road race bikes. And I always wanted a printer, uh, but they were just so expensive, right? They were, back then they were still like $10,000 and heard all these horror stories. Like if you didn't know how to use them or you didn't use them enough that the heads would dry and then you just have a $10,000 paperweight and, right. you know, so that kind of freaked us out and, you know, I had no, no idea how to use it. Um, I remember taking like a, a Photoshop class and an illustrator class in high school, but it just what I, I didn't really learn much from it, and at least nothing that kind of applied to, you know, motorsports design, yeah, or whatsoever. Um, but yeah, it's just all it was just always something I kind of dabbled in. And then last summer, you know, I was at my local sign shop getting some vinyl, uh, some paint masks because I I started painting helmets and kind of backing up a little bit. I had a friend who painted motorcycle motorcycle bodywork. And he kind of showed me how to, like, we painted a helmet together. Like, I, I had the airbrushing skills, but when you paint an RC car body, you paint it from the inside. Backwards. So it's like, yeah. it's like backwards. You don't have to back mask anything. So, like, to me, it's way harder to paint a helmet because you have to do all this taping and you really have to think about the layout and, like, what you do first and all the steps. But I uh, learned how to paint a helmet from him, and I've painted those over the years. And I, I'm, a, I'm like a true artist. Like, I it's a love and hate relationship. Like <laughs> I really get into it sometimes or I don't want anything to do with it. And like, I don't paint for everybody. I don't even paint for myself sometimes. <laughs> like I have a helmet I need to paint for Daytona for myself and I've just been procrastinating. But, uh, so it's kind of a weird thing. Like helmets isn't always on the menu with the Reno designs, but, uh, so you, you've been, you got the new printer, so is that kind of your gig now? Is you printing a lot of stuff? I'm, yeah, I'm cranking out a lot of RC car stuff. I mean, it's it's a smaller printer, cutter, does both, and I got a laminator and you know, like, uh, so yeah, I do a lot of RC car stuff. I do print graphics for myself sometimes for my bikes. Like, I can do motocross graphics if I want. I do my road race stuff sometimes. Uh, I still use like SKDA a lot for that stuff. Um, 
so yeah, I'm more so just focusing on the RC car side of things with the printer, but, but I've had some people who like really helped me out, uh, you know, like, uh, Tyson blood at fusion graphics. Like mm-hmm. I remember, you know, when I was still a teenager, like I went up to his shop to get some custom road race graphics and like, he showed me how he makes templates for bikes. And I still use that process. Like today, you know, I get clear vinyl and trace it, scan it and, you know, make templates of stuff that way. So Tyson was kind of a guy like, yeah, he's the original, like he started fusion graphics in his bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he was a guy that kind of like uh, of the few people that have kind of helped me along the way that like kind of gave me some direction or gave me some pointers. And then, uh, uh, John Dady from Blosion, uh, he, he gave me a lot of pointers. Um, uh, who else? There's a bunch of people, but, uh, oh, Dave Durham from, well, now he's got his own thing. Right. Uh, but what, you know, when he was working at Fox doing Fox and shift, like I learned more in five minutes about illustrator with him <laughs> than I did my whole life. You know, <laughs> like a lot of like the quick, you know, tools and stuff I use to do graphic design, whether it be for bike graphics or, you know, whatever, um, like a, a sponsorship proposal, you know, stuff I learned from him just hanging out in the office. With right. Him. I remember seeing him. I mean, I would see him at the office all the time, but just at the, at the one show, you, you know, like he would always come up and he would just be by, just kind of on his own term. He wasn't like, Hey, I'm coming to the one show, get it. Let's get this team set up or whatever. Right. He would just be there and be like, oh, shit, what's going on? And he's just there just taking it all in, right? Because as, as an artist, too, it's like you kind of want to, like, look and see, like, what the vibe everything is, you know? And then kind of, like, look at that. But that comes to, I mean, somebody that's, like, you know, like, that guy and a lot of – there's, like, a couple other guys at Fox that was, like, they're the guys that created the look, you know, that even you – I mean, back to, like, Geico days when it was, like, the shift last – really the last few days of shift there right it's that full factory kit from pants jerseys helmet boots down to like what i mean they designed or he designed the geico bikes for that specific season you yeah. know and even like jet i remember being at a i don't know i think it was it might have been the 2019 or we were getting ready to make 2020 shift product or it was like the launch of some of the design of that and that was back when uh when uh, the Lawrence brothers were shift riders and they're just standing there next to jet. And I'm like, this is the future right here. This dude in like sweatpants, you know, <laughs> but they were kind of running through that whole new strategy of like, of uh kind of design, you know, that he was kind of pushing and it was like, kind of out there. But then you see now come full circle, even though that, that some of that shift product landed and then he was let go in 2020 and started doing, I think he was designing for Alpine star there for a little bit and uh, kind of his own, his own firm. Right. Yep. But, uh, um, but yeah, you see all that kind of come forward to where it's, it, he was always the guy pushing the envelope at Fox. Like, Hey, let's do, let's step out and do this. When some of the other guys, are like, no, let's stay a little bit more of like the, you know, yeah. usual. It, it was cool. Like he, yeah, he was part of that, like CC collab, you know, when they did the leather jacket mm-hmm. and, uh, they had the lab, I think it was, the, uh, was it Moto X lab? Was it just well, lab? it's it was called lab there for a while, but yeah, yeah, that was a little bit of like the, you know, letter rip. Let's see what we can, let's see what we can do cool off the wall. You know, it was the Fox head upside down as yeah. the lab logo. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, I loved going. My favorite part, you know, when I'd go visit Fox was just, he would always show me what's coming down the pipeline like a year or two out. And mm-hmm. 
and uh yeah he's a cool guy yeah he, like a lot of i you know every time i watch supercross like i can always tell what he's designed and like a couple times i've been like hey did you do you know this set of gear or this or that he's yeah like, oh yeah so like i, I kind of have an eye for like his style now i i see it yeah so that's kind of fun but yeah Dude, he's, there i haven't talked to him in a while he called me i think it was probably right around that 2018 2019 it was when shift pulled away from fox and he started that whole thing that was when they're bringing the lawrence brothers in and he called me and he basically offered me a job to be essentially like the national sales manager and you know and i'd have to move down to california right but it's like one of those things you know where you're just like i got at that point i think i just have my daughter at home but it's like i'm not going to move the family to california so i can chase my dream you know i think that's like a part of like that's a part of like fatherhood that nobody ever really talks about a ton when you're just like, well, I don't want them to sit in a, you know, apartment while dad gets to like live out the, you know, the high end dream or, or do whatever. But, um, but that's why I bring him up though. Cause at the one show he'd be walking around as the artist that he is. And then he'd be looking at something that I'm like, why would you be into that? And he goes, whoever made this, I want to talk to. Because <laughs> it caught his eye, just like what you were saying earlier about, like, you know, there's the artist. Sometimes you're into it. Sometimes you're not, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 He's, you know, definitely, you know, there's been a lot of people that have been really helpful in my career. And he's one of the guys. I mean, uh, yeah, I really miss being part of that, uh, you know, the Fox family. You know, it was a little bit different people back then, but, like, the, you know, the couple of years I had with that crew were so much fun. Oh yeah. Oh man. Those are good years. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, uh, what's kind of your favorite art piece that maybe you've done? Is it a helmet? Is it like a, maybe an RC body? Maybe it's like a, a Toyota replica RC body that you, that it took you two years to finish for me. <laughs> or, <laughs> well, is there uh is there something you did for somebody else? Like, or maybe an, another helmet or, or a, or a bike that you built, you know, I know you're, you're working on a bike build now that we can that we could kind of get into for the one show. But is there something specific like that you created that you thought you were just pumped when you got done? Yeah, I mean, there's for sure been some helmet paint jobs. Um, there's been some helmet paint jobs. Like the, I did a couple. I did three last year for myself, and I kind of did like a got into a flame look. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing back some old like hot rod style flames and. Uh, yeah, those I'll show you after this. Those up close, like those are really, really sweet. I'm probably gonna do something similar off that for my new helmet. But uh, the helmets are so unique, and you don't really there's really no other racers out there that are painting their own helmets. Um, so I think that's pretty unique. So I'm I'm really proud of those. But uh, and I've painted a couple of bikes for tour. So I, I definitely was really proud. I did like a an Indian FTR 1200 for him that was like bone white with candy apple red and I airbrushed the Indian logo in there, but I changed the eye of the logo with the CCI. Oh really? So that's pretty trick and it, it totally fits. It looks, it looks badass. Um, those were pretty sweet, but yeah, th- right now I'm the kind of a cool art type project is I'm building a bike for the one motorcycle show. And I've kind of built bikes before, but not like this. Like this is, I'm taking a, a, a 2023 KTM 890 Duke R. So basically the same bike I road race right now. And I'm stripping it down the frame. I had uh Blakely powder coat it because it has, it's a whole different color scheme. I'm building that in memory of 
my best friend that passed away, Kelly Johnson, she yeah. passed away in 2017, which is crazy to think how long it's been. Right. But uh, she passed away road racing, and I, I, we were like best friends since 2008 or 2009. You know, she was one of the few people that raced a CRF 150R like me. Yeah. So like we we had to race with each other all the time at PIR, and then she got into motocross or uh, road racing and supermoto. So long, long time friend, and uh, she was a hooligan just like myself, like yeah. in every aspect of life. You know, just living it to the fullest, being silly. You know, just being a absolute sender. Yeah. You know, just taking it to the boys all the time. So like. If she was around now, she'd be racing hooligans and we'd be teammates. Like same, I'm, I'm sure of thing, that. Yeah. Yeah. So I've like, I've wanted to do something special, like for a while, like it's, it's been quite a while now. And, uh, so you posted some wheels. Yeah. Is that the color that you're going after. Uh, yeah. I mean, her favorite color was purple. So, uh, like long time ago, one of the bikes, she raced a, a Kawasaki Ninja 250. It was all blacked out with a bunch of purple you know, graphics I made for it. Right. Like purple, like kind of like a chrome type purple, like a deep purple with like some pink trim, like not too girly. I mean, it was like pretty badass looking like I would rock it. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so yeah, I'm definitely going for that kind of vibe with the bike. You know, it's going to be mostly like gunmetal silver as far as like the frame and motor stuff goes. And then the plastics will be black and carbon I'll probably do some graphics with, like I said, a little bit of purple trim, maybe, maybe some other, you know, kind of neutral gray colors in there. And then, yeah, the wheels are just this crazy metallic purple, super trick. And, uh, I got a bunch of purple anodized, you know, parts. It's not like, it's not going to be like a choppery type build where it's like too much. And, you know, like it's, it's going to be tasteful. It's going to look going to look trick look badass and like look like a fierce race bike i mean it, it's i'm building a race bike essentially like right. it's not just a carbon copy of my bike but like like i'm there's parts of stuff i can't run that we're putting on the bike um you know parts from other companies i maybe not sponsored by or like i said maybe they're not legal for the class because you know like we have silly rules in road racing like you can't have like titanium caliper bolts or like because they're too brittle no i don't know what the deal is or a lot of it is just cost related like they don't want people i don't know yeah what it so is. there's a cost cap on it so there's people, a cost they're not dumping titanium yeah there's on all the there's, bikes and... there's cost caps on like brake master cylinders so like the one i got is out of that price range because it's just super trick mm-hmm. so it's it's gonna be i'm pretty excited about it like it's gonna I think it's just going to be kind of cool for the community because there's a lot of people around here in the Northwest that knew her and were touched by her in some way or another. You know, she had an impact on a lot of people. She was very positive and well-known throughout the community. So I think it'll be cool for people to see the bike and, you know, again, kind of keep her spirit alive. And yeah, then for sure. For me, it's like kind of a positive, uh, positive thing for me, you know, um, Cause it's, it's still a tough, tough thing to think about. So it's just kind of a positive way to get some energy out, you know? Yeah, for so. sure. I mean, uh, you know, and I, I think for you too, it's, uh, uh, it's not just the building the bike, right? Cause you're, you're, you're adding like your art inspiration into it. I mean, I can only 
I can't wait to see what it looks like just seeing the wheels, you know, that you're that you're showing. Yeah, and there's there's a couple things I that I have planned that will really get into the art side of it for me, like a, on like the graphic side of things. Like yeah. I got this I can't spoil everything, but like, but like there's this one thing I've already like done a piece of and it's it's so trick like I yeah, I yeah, we can we can wait. The one show's not that far away. Yeah, man. like it's more like more than just the bike, but like yeah, there's there's some some badass stuff that will be on it that I'm really excited about. So yeah, it, it's it. I'll probably uh, so her dad's helping me pay for all this, of course, because yeah. it's you know motorcycles. You, you didn't look that. like you you didn't not spend any money on those wheels. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're not they're not uh, cheap wheels, you know. So yeah, we're. You know, her. I I had this idea, and I, like I had a spare bike, and I was trying to figure out what to do with it. And you know, Kelly rode KTM. She rode for CC KTM even. Uh, but uh, yeah, I was. I was it just kind of came like the perfect time. Like I had the, this idea, and I had the bike, and her dad was on board, and he's like, "Well, you know, are you going to race it?" And I was like, "Well, uh, yeah, I guess we got to race it. So we'll probably race it, you know, just locally at Portland and." it'll most likely just be a display bike, you know, at her parents' house or something. Maybe even mine. I don't know. I have one of her bikes here, her 150R actually. Oh, really? But, uh, yeah, we pulled that out last summer, got it running again, and I took it to uh, McMinnville to ride it, and I'll take it next week into Pat's Acres just kind of oh, cool. keep the carbs clean. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, That's the hardest part, man. When you have a ton of motorcycles, you got to pull them things out and yeah. fire them up every once in a yeah. while. Yeah, 150Rs, man, they're finicky. So, yeah, it's <laughs> – but, uh, but, yeah, I'm really excited for that. Uh, like I said, it's just like a something I've always wanted to do um, and, you know, to kind of keep her spirit alive. And then uh, – and just a fun challenge for me because I've never stripped a bike to a frame, let alone a, a street bike – this kind of comp it's very complicated bike with the wiring harness and all this stuff and i'm kind of pulling my hair out trying to figure out how to put it back together but uh it'll be like my first true true build i would say and uh you know the one motorcycle show is really cool it's just it'll be a special thing all around and like i said i think a lot of people are going to be really stoked to see it and uh yeah, like I said, she she'd be racing hooligans, so uh That's it'd cool. Be cool I can't to, wait to see it. Yeah. So you got the bike build happening. What's what's next for you in twenty twenty four, like race season wise? Like what do you got in the books? Like you got any new sponsors going on? You got a new race se- season? Are you gonna try to dabble in some other things that you've done in the past? Or yep. I know you're <laughs> when I was like, Hey, you got time for uh you got time for a podcast? You're like, I got R- RC racing on, <laughs> on <Yeah>. these nights. <laughs> well yeah, this winter yeah, the winter time I do a lot of R C car racing, but uh yeah, you know, this year I'm kinda scaling back a little bit, like, you know, the it's tough like someone like myself who doesn't have a nine to five and is trying to make a living racing motorcycles. Like it's just kind of a, a vicious cycle of support coming in and going away. Yeah. And you're just kind of riding the wave of however the economy is or however the industry is doing. And it seems like, you know, the COVID crazy sales and era of, you know, our industry is, it's everything's kind of gone back to normal. So people are, pulling back a little bit and it's election year and people have concerns with that. Like there's just all these other variables that 
you know, people really wouldn't think about that affects somebody like myself, who's trying to get sponsorship dollars to go race motorcycles. So yeah, I've had a lot of that trimmed up. Like fortunately my relationship to KTM, like I get some bikes and some parts from them, but it's not like a factory program. So like they basically, I'm basically in charge of my program and what I do and I have to fund it. But I mean, obviously a big, you know, big chunk of that is buying the bikes, the parts. So I don't have to do that, but I still have to go find people to help me pay for stuff. I mean, Daytona is so expensive to travel to. I mean, like I, I booked our Airbnb like two months in advance and it's like $2,000 for five days. Right. And that was the cheapest thing I can find that will, you know, accommodate my dad and I and two crew. And then, you know, you got, there's just, there's just, oh, yeah. there's That's just a ton. The, it's the old story. The logistics you know? of, are the, you know, half the expense. So, uh, so yeah, nothing like I might 2024, I'm running the super hooligan championship again. And I, I'm really excited. Uh, we have a new KTM 990 coming out and my whole thing I've been struggling with the last couple of years is just being down on power. Cause the hooligan class, the rules are written in a certain way where, you know, the main rule is the bike can't come with 125 more 125 or more horsepower stock so you have to find a bike that kind of fits this window of you know horsepower and other specifications and yeah you know there's other bikes that are like 1200 cc's or 1250 that fit and ktm only had an 890 that really fit that and anyway it's a kind of a complicated deal but I, you know i should have a bike i unfortunately won't have it for daytona but for the other you know, four rounds, I should have, have that bike and be more competitive. I mean, last year I was, uh, you know, beating and battling with factory Indian riders, you know, um, full factory deal with the semi truck, you know, they're going to crazy lengths, developing their bikes. And I'm a privateer guy. And like, I, I got a pole position at the Ridge and I won a race due to a disqualification of them. Uh, they had their handlebars too low, which that's one of the main rules of the hooligan class is you, you know, it's upright naked bikes, right? And they had their handlebars rotated. The rule is written where if your bar end is below the top plane of the triple clamp, that's illegal. Oh, and they had their, they basically, we all kind of run a motocross fat bar. Yeah. You know, I, we try to get them as flat as possible, but they had like just your normal, like whatever bend would come on a KX450 or KTM, any of these bikes nowadays, and they rotated them upside down. So they looked like a road race style clip on. Uh, but yeah, they were just like a couple centimeters or millimeters, you know, too far. And, uh, so is there a tech inspection that you have to go through? Is yeah. After, a light tech. Is it before or after, uh, before, so yeah, at the start of the weekend and then after any qualifier or any race, they call it park for May. So immediately you pull your bike into there and, they're held for like 30 minutes for any protests or yeah. anything like that. And a, a team, a Harley team protested them and they were found to be illegal. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was battling with them every single weekend as a privateer. So that was pretty cool. So I'm hoping that this year with, you know, once I get that bike and get it developed that, uh, maybe I'll finally have what I need to win the championship. Um, cause I've been really close the last couple of years with, you know, a fraction of the support and funding and everything that they have. Um, 
But uh, so yeah, racing super hooligans. I, you know, I got a supermoto bike end of last year, so I'm kind of getting back into supermoto, and that's just such a fun sport. I mean, it's so small nowadays, but it's yeah. just again, it's just for the fun of it. It's it's something I really enjoy. And then, um, man, I I really didn't ride motocross last year, which is kind of embarrassing to say. So <laughs> I hope this year I'm riding more motocross again, and you know. I got that 150 SX from Scott Russell and you know, I've, I've been holding that thing hostage since straight rhythm because I wanted to do dream race. And I don't remember what my excuse was, why I didn't make dream race this year, but like, that's why I have it. So I yeah. got to make the dream race, uh, this coming year with it. So then I, I just got back into drifting. My drift car was apart for two years. I got that back together. So like, man, the one show I'm going to have that Kelly, you know, tribute bike build. I'm supposed to get my drift car all dolled up for the car show side of it. And I'll have like the custom, you know, rear hitch carrier with the bike on the back. <laughs> I'll have something cool in there with it. Yeah. And then, so yeah, I got a lot to do for the one show this year. I'll have a big presence there. So That'd be cool. But yeah, I don't know. I just want to make like some cool videos and I really like, I like video stuff. Like another part, a lot of people maybe don't see or don't know about is I've done a lot of commercial stuff for like manufacturers or, you know, product photo video stuff for gear companies. So like a couple times a year, I usually get hired. Like last, uh, the last shoot I did was for CF moto and they're a, you know, Chinese based motorcycle manufacturer. That's now really, uh, you know, getting into the American market. Now they have their own U S headquarters. Well, they're also doing KTM and, Yamaha or Yamaha stuff too. Yeah. They've been producing it, a lot of Yamaha stuff. I know the KTM stuff was all over the headlines yeah. lately, but yeah. So yeah, last last uh, September I I did all their adventure and street bike, you know, uh, product stuff. So I'm I'm the writer. You'd see in a lot of the advertisements for that. And uh, where'd you do those shoots at? We did uh, most of it up in at a Satsop that old. Uh, decommissioned nuclear power plant oh really uh, is it sat sop or i can't remember how you say it but it's it's basically like 20 minutes you know west of olympia and oh, it's this okay. really cool decommissioned nuclear power plant so we we were riding around there they're kind of going for like a a grungy like yeah type of look there for their street bikes and then the adventure stuff we rode some trails somewhere in the olympic peninsula not too far away yeah um riding like their 800 cc ktm power plant adventure bike yeah so i i enjoy doing that type of stuff like that you know people ask how do you make money and it's just a lot of weird little oh, yeah. oddball stuff it's it's doing those shoots it's maybe making some money you know road racing or it's like you know like i said i've won bikes before and I've sold those to fund the next thing or, yeah. you know, uh, painting RC car bodies at home during the week <laughs> and making stickers or coaching people at the track. Like it, I, I'm doing just anything I can to, yeah, you know, to make it happen. Right. Right on. Well, cool, man. Thanks for your time. Like it, I mean, everybody, I mean, Instagram's probably your, your biggest outlet, right? Yeah. As far as at Andy underscore Debrino. Yeah. And yeah, the, Bruno Designs too. Do you have a website? 
No, Re- I do. Like, I have an Instagram, but it just says "Don't ask me to paint your helmet." <laughs> <laughs> I don't post a lot. I don't really push Debrino Designs because it's like, yeah, I, I kind of, yeah, I don't. <laughs> I just kind of do what work I want to do. I don't know. Like I'm not. I kind of you know I do my homie stuff, and I yeah. I don't know. I the business side of me, I need to be more out there, more. Uh, open to other people, but the helmet thing is just—it's difficult. It's to, time uh, consuming. It's so time consuming, and uh, and it's—it's it's not that profitable. The the vinyl stuff is—I'm really enjoying this printer because like there's some customers I have where it's mostly just press the button. I have all the artwork set up, and yeah. it's just like print money, and I'm in there playing Call of Duty waiting for it to print. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that, man. You know, I can, I can, I can, you know play xbox or i can work on my rc cars or prep my motorcycles or in between do my emails yeah, yeah like i i can do i can multitask that stuff whereas painting it's just like two three days of just grinding yeah. and sanding and yeah you know just you know it's it's a labor of love for sure <laughs> cool well i can't wait to see the bike and then uh yeah good luck this season having fun appreciate so. it i'll have to get off to lancaster land and you know throw down on some RC car Monday nights. Oh, you know it.